football clubs groom young boys yeah. and make them believe that something's going to happen which is not going to happen. And then they leave them with nothing and make them feel as if it's their fault. You played for Fulham, Wales under sort of 19 international, is that right? Under yeah. Yep, I did three-year scholarship and I was 19 and my knees were just so bad at that point. I just had to have a double knee surgery. My contract was coming to an end and the club just said, see ya. Players you know that have fallen into crime quite quickly after they got let go. Mm -hmm. Because of your circumstances, you're going to prison. So just as your friend, I can't accept that because then it's used as like a rod to football clubs to say, we told you he's a bad egg. Actually, no, you took his whole childhood from him and then you left him with nothing. What do you expect him to do? You feel a sense of responsibility on having it out Massively. there? If you are released from a football club and you don't know how you feel, or you don't know what to say, but you want to kill yourself, just send me an email. Thanks for having me, mate. Pleasure, pleasure. Can you put a filter on this to make me look? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> there you go. Okay, our sponsor for this episode is Spacemade. Spacemade offer flexible workspaces throughout the UK and they currently have the following London locations. Queen's Park, The Strand, Fitzrovia, Swiss Cottage and London Fields, as well as City Centre Leeds and City Centre Bristol. To find out more, do check out their website at www.spacemade.co and finally, I would like to give a big thank you to the whole team there. I really am grateful for your support you've given us from day one and it really won't be forgotten. If you are looking for a great space to work, guys, do check them out via the links in the description below. And for any direct inquiries, you can email them via info at spacemade.co. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hey, Max Noble, how are you doing? Thank hey, you Mike. for being here. Thank you for having me, mate. Um, so just very, just quick start, and then we'll obviously we'll go into it. You, uh, you own Certified Sports, and you obviously recently got a lot of recognition for putting together a short film. Short, would, you, would you call it a short film? Yeah, it's a film. Yeah, it's a film. Chasing um, shadows. Chasing, chasing shadows. So, I guess could you tell us how the past few months been since you've released that and what it what it's all about? Number one, yeah. and then maybe a touch on how how you got got to that, and then we'll, we'll go go into it a bit more. Okay, so I played football my whole life, so my whole childhood, and then I got to the age of nineteen, and I had double knee surgery and I couldn't play anymore. So I just was in this headspace all of my twenties. I'm thirty one now, but all of my 20s where I just felt depressed. I was so anxious, I felt really uncomfortable just not knowing who I was because my whole identity had been to do with football. And having to explain that to people and for people just to say, oh, well, I wanted to be a rock star when I was a child or I wanted to be an astronaut when I was a child. And to have to try and explain that when you feel so vulnerable is actually really difficult. So just as I got older, I just thought, I want to piece something together because now I understand it wasn't just me. It's mm. all of my football friends have been through the same thing. So I wanted to piece something together that actually we can all look back on and say, just watch this. This is how I feel. So that's how it started. And then since the release has just got so much traction and I've just had loads of feedback from it, I've had five, six hundred emails from boys that I've never seen, never met before explaining yeah. their situations and their stories. So, yeah, it's it came from a really dark place, but actually it's been quite therapeutic for me to just like put it all on film and say, that's that's done for me. That's. And, and and what would you say is uh, the the basic narrative of, of of chasing chasing shadows? Like what what is it? If someone if someone hasn't watched it, try explain it's a little a, bit of detail, not not without giving away too much. What what it is exactly? It's a young boy or, or girl just chasing their dream, and within this football academy system, just the ruthlessness of it, the statistics that show that it's almost impossible for you to become a professional footballer, but how this carrot is still dangled in front of your face, and how you're still told oh, if you work hard, you can make it. Mm. And actually, for me, my whole goal is to just 
be able to implement some form of aftercare because the statistics show that you're not going to make it. So the fact that these multi-billion pound organizations and corporations and associations don't have anything to support you after you've been released, your whole life has been taken from you, to me, that's unacceptable. So that's what the film is. It's a, it's a child chasing their dreams and then all of a sudden everything is taken from them and where do they go? What do they do? How do they feel? And that's, that's what it is. And I mean, let's, let's talk a bit about your early sports career. career. You, I mean, could, could you elaborate? Obviously, you played for Fulham, Wales under sort of 19 international, is that right? Or under, yeah. so, so where did it start for you in the football world, going, going way back? And, and I guess the journey from being discovered at a very young age to the, the exit, I think that'd be really interesting for people to hear because I'm sure it'd be quite, <laughs> quite relatable to a lot of people. Okay, so I think I started at seven, just with my dad, just having a kickabout in the park because mm -hmm. my sister used to finish school a bit later than me. So instead of coming home, we just go to the park. So every day I was just having to kick around with my dad. And then I got scouted at eight for Wimbledon. So I don't know if you remember old school Wimbledon, the crazy gang. Yeah, can I, and what, that's MK Dons it, now, right? Yeah, the MK Dons, yeah. 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 Okay. So I was there um, at 12. I got a four-year contract, which as a child, you think, wow, amazing. I think only two of the other boys got offered it. But actually looking back on it, to give a 12-year-old a four-year contract is wild to me. Yeah. And then... A year after that, they moved to Milton Keynes. So of course I'm still under contract. So it's difficult for me to leave. So I had to, someone had to buy me out of my contract as a 13 year old. Which seems crazy because I didn't even know you could ha you were allowed a contract at that age yes. or, or you were then, but is that still allowed? <laughs> no, you still, still allowed? Are. Yeah, you still are. So um, from there I had a couple of offers, but chose Fulham because obviously it's close to my house. And to be honest, I say I chose and my, my parents chose. Mm. Um, and then I was there from, 14 to 19 um when i when i initially signed i didn't do i was i was offered my pro contract early so i left school in year 10 i didn't do my gcses so i've got no further qualifications from that and i was promised that okay well by the time you get to 16 you'll have this professional contract didn't work out like that so i did a scholarship i did three-year scholarship and i was 19 and my knees were just so bad at that point i just had to have a double knee surgery my contract was coming to an end and the club just said see ya basically like you're not going to play for two years so we're not going to offer you another deal so you have to go and deal with it yourself and i mean there's, there's so much i want to ask you but let, 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 let's try try and get a decent decent chronological order so the then let's talk about the knees a bit. Now mm. you were quite young, and you had you had Oscar Schlatter's, is that right? I've had so much wrong yeah. with my knees, to be honest with you. But yeah, I think the first time I remember consciously having bad knees, I was about twelve. So that was Oscar Schlatter's, and I I couldn't walk. Mm. And to to say that in my mind, I feel like no, you you, you could walk, but I honestly I just collapsed downstairs. So I'd have to take weeks off school at a time, and your knees almost just feel like they're on fire. Yeah. So that was I think the first time I really realised okay. And that was at 12? 12. Fucking <laughs> hell. Yeah, 12. Yeah, so, so, so you, you had this condition which was not necessarily connected to football. You just obviously had an issue with your knees in general, perhaps? Or do you think, do you, well, do you, I mean, do you wonder about that? Or, do, or do, would you even know the specific answer to that? I don't know, to be honest. I, d I don't know. I mean... Because you'd assume at that young age it's probably just something inherent, so to speak. But I think it, it is inherent, but also it's wear and tear. I mean, back in the day, we used to play on concrete that had sand on it and they called it AstroTurf. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, doing that, that three yeah. times a week for five years, you're probably going to have some problems. Mm. So that's what we were doing. So I don't think it would have occurred. Or I would have had these problems if I wasn't playing football, if I was just casually playing sport once or twice a week, like most other kids are. Mm. So it was definitely went hand in hand. 
Um, and then from there, I think I was about 15 was the first time I went away. I was away with Wales actually, we're in um, Malta and I snapped my MCL. So that was 15, I couldn't walk for four or five months, had surgery, basically taped me back together, started to play again after a year. And then I just had so many problems in my knee, like with my fat pads, with my um, meniscus, with my cartilage. And yeah, it just all got to the point that I needed my double knee surgery. And that was with my tendons, because my tendons were just so run down that I needed to have a knee surgery. And so, I mean, this was what, 15 odd years ago, right? I'm not that old, mate. Yeah. No, no. No, <laughs> no, that's probably a, close to that. No, yeah. but I mean, it's yeah. sort 12, of 12 to 15 yeah, years yeah, yeah. as far yeah. as the bracket of when the knee really yes. got serious. Yeah. Um, do you do you think today's medical standards are, are better from what you hear? Because obviously, you what shocks me about the story when I was reading it of you, mate, is that the amount of injections you got at such a young age and that they were comfortable doing doing that when... I don't know, I've had small injuries here and there, but the main thing I've noticed that helped me the most was essentially physio and yoga because it's stretching and yoga seems to do the most good work to your muscles. And, and you know, p people talk all the time about someone like Ryan Giggs who got into yoga quite quite uh, young and as a result, he had quite a lot of long longevity. Mm. Were you ever even told about that? And, and that would be the first part of that question. And secondly, do you hear any better, better news now on the, on the medical front? I'll be honest with you, the messages that I've received so far, it's not better. So for me, it's like that point of medical negligence. I'm a child. So if you say to me, look, take this injection, it's gonna get better, mm. or take this painkiller, or all we need to do is strap up your knee and like it will go away in three months. I'm gonna I am gonna listen to you. Yeah. And even if it's I get to the point where I think, hmm, I'm not sure about this, in my mind I know that if I tell you I'm in pain, I can't do this, and I'm out of the team for a month or two months, then what's hap what happens to me in, in a year's time or what happens to me in six months' time when I'm told you're weak, it's in your mind, they're just a niggle and you didn't want to play. So all of that, I think, is is what is inherent in academies. It's that pressure on these young boys to make it. And if, if I can't walk, if someone says to me, you're not going to be able to walk when you're 40, I'd say, I don't care. Yeah. I just want to be a footballer. Because the coach is, everybody says it's gospel, really, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Because he's sort of, he, I mean, it's that, that point that you've touched on before in, in some of the articles I've read that essentially they, they've got your career in their hands, really, don't they? But they do, yeah. It's yeah. not, yeah. They literally have their whole career in your hand. And it doesn't come from, okay, there's four or five coaches can, in certain instances, just be one man. So if you don't get on with him or you say to him, oh, my leg hurts today and there's a big game coming up tomorrow. You know? That's it. Yeah. And obviously there's that, it's just that absolute desperation to, to, to succeed. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit um, about after, after you got let go. Now, yeah. the first thing that shocked me that frankly I think is fucking disgraceful is is the way they didn't even pay for your knee surgery um that blew my mind because it's all very well and good you know there's there's arguable points with saying that we put them through an academy we gave them basic education we did something there's arguable points even though i agree with you when it comes yeah. down to it's not i would argue against you yeah. But yeah. no but I, I don't i'm saying it's arguable i, I don't mm. agree but yeah. some some people might say well they gave you basics yeah. i agree with you there's definitely a duty of care for or, or, or aftercare needed and we'll talk we'll touch more on that later down the line but but just immediately after you left, you had to have this surgery and it wasn't paid for essentially, right? No. Do you know what? It's such a funny thing because I didn't realize until I got older how serious that was. And like people educated me on what medical negligence is. Mm. So for years, I've been getting injections in my knees from 17 to, or younger probably, from 16 to 19. And then all of a sudden, it's my fault. Mm. It's my fault. My knees are too weak and then I can't progress my career. So 
I mean, again, I had no money because you don't get paid any money to be a, an academy footballer. So the little money that I did manage to save or get together, I've had to think, okay, do I want to carry on my career or do I try and do something else with it? And at the time I thought, no, I'm, I'm strong enough. I can still make it. I just need to get back from my knee injury. I'm going to prove everyone wrong. I'm going to work so hard. But years or a year down the line, you realize actually the truth, the truth kind of hits you and you feel helpless and you feel hopeless. So, sorry, what was your actual question? No, 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 I'm I get that. Was, was a, no, 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 it's not at all. Um, Essentially, so you, you you got let go and you had this this knee surgery and you had to pay for it. Yeah, which is obviously just just ridiculous. So what, I guess that happened. Then what happened after that? Did you pursue football a bit more? Did you have I to tried. try and get a job? Or, yeah, or I what? tried to, and I, I mean for maybe two years. So initially, we thought that the tendon surgery would take about a year and a half to recover from. It took mm. me three years, so that was already too long to be able to just go back and be like, "Hi, remember me? Can I come back? Yeah. Or can you yeah, help yeah. me out a bit?" Because everyone's just like, "You're done." So yeah, it's I just received no help at all in in short terms, no help. And I think I went to the job centre, which was again to go from where you feel like you're here mm. and then all of a sudden you're at the job centre and you're earning no money, it was embarrassing. So then I just became a massive recluse and I didn't want to touch football. I thought that's the only thing I can do, but I don't even want to go anywhere near it because you get those questions. How's your football career going? Oh, weren't you playing for Fulham? How come you're playing for a non-league team now? Mm. And then I'm just like, I just want to become a recluse and I don't want to speak to anyone. So I just, I'd locked myself in my room. And then mid-twenties was when I started to speak about this and think, actually, this is wrong, what happened to me? And what happened to all of my friends? Reconnect with all my football friends. And it just turned out that every single one of our stories is is similar. Might not have got injured, but it's still very aligned. And um, yeah, I just, I took it from there, really. So I've just been trying to popularise the story and t talk more about it, but... I've had a couple minimum wage jobs, rolling towels in gyms, making shakes and stuff like that, but nothing that I've ever thought can actually help me until I got given a leaflet at the job centre. And so it was for Burberry. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, okay, well, I work in a shop. I'm over this football stuff, so let me just work in a shop. And if I have to take 10 years to build my way up, then fine. And I went and it was at the head office. So I managed to just blag my way into the marketing team and I was there for six months. And then I went to the product development team for six months. And that's just, that was my only experience outside of football clothes and how to manufacture clothes. So that's where the sportswear comes into. And that's where clothes just comes into it for me. And, that, and then as a result, it's the evolution of certified sports, which there is obviously, go. we'll obviously put a link in um, in all the descriptions, all platforms. For Cheers, it. mate. Yeah, for a little bit of promo and obviously did the link to Chasing Shadows. Get a million views on this or what? Well, we might do if all goes well. I mean, you're getting pretty viral, so who knows? Um, I wanted to ask you a question. Do do you I want to ask you a lot of questions? Go that's on, a, that's a silly point. Do you blame yourself at all? I did. Yeah, that's a tough question because I did for a long, long time, and I think that's what the stigma that we have behind mm. young footballers. It's my fault. Yeah. It's not the system. It's not your injuries. It's not how the coaches treated you, or or as a whole, the academy system works. It's your fault. You were too weak. You were too lazy. You were too slow. You didn't come to training early enough. You went home. There were boys still here working hard and you went home. So it's that whole, oh, could I have done more? Should I have done more? Now I've not only let myself down, but I've let my friends down. Mm. I've let my family down. My dad used to drive me here, there and everywhere. I'm, I'm not saying he was his favourite son or anything, but like he's so proud of me. It's anywhere I go, oh, you're Mike's son, the footballer. And now I don't have that. So what do I have? What do I have to offer? And yes, I, I definitely did blame myself. And yeah, it took a lot of reflection and just deep thinking to realize actually this isn't 
what happened to me isn't acceptable. It's, it's grooming. And that's another point that this is football clubs groom young boys yeah. and make them believe that something is going to happen which is not going to happen. And then they leave them with nothing and make them feel as if it's their fault. So that's going back to the film. All I want to do is create a safe space for people to be able to think it's not my fault. Yeah. Just, just make it so normal that these young boys know you're not, you're not going to become a footballer. Just enjoy your time, enjoy the experience that you have, and then you can take those skills and use them in other places. Mm. And, and that's it, not have to spend six or seven years in a dark room crying yourself to sleep every night thinking, I'm a failure, I'm a loser, I don't want to be here anymore. And so, yeah, that's... That's really where it stems from. Yeah. Um, the, it, you know, first, I'd, I'd like to you know, thank you again for doing this because I really do care about... Um, mental health and obviously male mental health in particular obviously because I'm connected to it um, but I found it very interesting the parallels and what we've talked about before off camera about uh, how many people have this sort of fall from grace and they just don't realise what's happening and then they go down a real shit path mm -hmm. and, and that's what's great about this and this what we're doing here and the relatability of it and that's the bit that I guess was really nice for you to see is that is that p people came to you and said oh so I'm not alone yeah um, would you mind delving into the mental side, especially, especially after those first few few years? You talk you talk a lot in some articles about literally hiding under the covers and elements of anxiety. I know, I know. I hope I'm not delving too deep, but there was elements of of, of panic attacks at times. Now, yeah. I've spoken to other people who had sim very similar things. Mm. Now, firstly, did you was there a while where you just didn't realise what was going on, but it was just happening? If you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, bro. I didn't realize. Mm. I thought this was normal. I thought I had it under control. Yeah. I'm like, I'm handling this. I'm choosing to be in my room. Mm. If I want to cry, I'll cry. I just don't want my friends to see. Yeah. I don't want my dad to know. So, yeah, there's, I, I don't even know really how to answer that question, but I didn't know. Sorry. Let's go back. It's all right. Take your time. Take your time. Just a moment. No, no, no. I'm not crying. I'm just thinking. No, no. <laughs> no, listen, I mean, I mean, if, if I could, if I could help you with it, um, <laughs> I think it's outrageous how isolated people feel, which is why I do this uh, in part. And sorry, I'm going to get emotional now. Mike, you, the thing is, yeah. you're in it by yourself. Yeah. And I think culturally, from where, where my family comes from, you don't talk about that stuff. Yeah. So it's like all of a sudden I've gone from here, this like shining light in my family, this footballer, and now I'm nothing. And then if I'm crying, my dad will say, come on, you're a noble. Like not, not in a harsh way, but... You, We'll get there. Just and have to he work he hard. doesn't know it himself. And I'm like, God Dad, bless him, yeah. Dad, come on. Like, you don't know what is in my mind. Or I can't mm. even tell you. And so that's what I wanted to do, just to create the most simple way for boys to understand and realize, if no one else, you can call me. Mm. And if you don't have anyone to speak to, and now it's to do with sport, but if, if in the future we'll create more content. But if you are released from a football club and you don't know how you feel or you don't know what to say, but you want to kill yourself, just send me an email. And I'll, I'll call you and we'll have, I'm not a therapist. I can't give you clinical advice, but what I can do is just be an older brother to you and say, look, this is what happened to me. This is my story. These are 20 of my friends that we can all speak to. We can, we're all part of a group where we help mm. each other. We speak about things. And that's what I wanted to do. That's genuinely what I started this for. And so obviously the clothes and the press and yeah, it's great. But like all I actually care about is helping because to me, this, this, this football system is such an easy change. All the FA have to do is say, okay, we're going to take aftercare seriously. Tick a box and just say, look, we're going to have certain things in place so when you release these boys, they don't feel like this. That's mm. it. 
it's not it's not rocket science. I'm not asking to reinvent the world. I'm just saying you chose to take them out of school. You chose to promise them the world. So therefore you have a responsibility to help them after. Mm. Do, do you remember when you, you realized you weren't alone in this? Recently? Yeah. So yeah, I do remember. It's, it's, been, it's been that long. Yeah, mate, it was like three years ago. Three years ago, I think I reached out to some of my friends. And even now I've got one of my friends, I don't want to say his name on camera, but he's the youngest ever Premier League football player. Mm-hmm. And he was depressed two years after that, tried yeah. to kill himself. So it's such an emotional roller coaster that you have to go on. But yeah, in answer to your question, I think the problem is, is that we don't know. We're not prepared. We don't understand that this is probably what might happen to you yeah. because football clubs don't want to address it. So yeah, it's, it was very recent that I realized. Um, we talked over the phone once about how I, I've, I don't think I've been through even elements of what you've been through other people. I think I'm quite lucky in many ways, but um, I can definitely, looking back on it, see that when I, you know, you get built up, whether you're at a school or whether you're at an academy or whatever it is, and if you manage to just do well, you get built up and really, really told, uh, you know, you, you can do great things, right? Yeah. And that's obviously goes to your head because you're so young. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think I mentioned to you what was very interesting about when I started my secondary school at 13 was some of the older kids came to me and said, if you do the right things here, you can be at the top of the tree, which in, in, in Mill Hill, isn't it? Yeah, that's so Mill Hill, exactly, yeah. That's what happens. Uh, that's what happens, you can be at the top of the tree. And that, but that, what was good about that, it was like at 13, someone was told, don't expect it to come overnight. Uh, and I think my point would be is, you ov- we obviously get that built up again and then you don't, the, the problem is you don't really get told at 18 or 19, okay, you're, you're really at the bottom of the pile again here. You're going into a big, bad world. Do you think something as simple as that would have made a big difference to you? Yeah, just to normalise it, mate. Yeah. I don't think any young footballer is expecting it to happen overnight. You know the process. Mm. You know, okay, you're, you're eight years old, you move into under whatever, and then you build your way up. It's not overnight. I've given you my whole life, yeah. my whole childhood, for you then to not pick up my phone call or to not even send me an email or to not help me when I want to kill myself. So I agree with you. I understand that in everyday life, people might think, well, you have opportunities, you just have to work hard at it. But I worked hard. Mm. I did everything and more. I didn't see my friends. I didn't socialize for years of my life. I, I, you still taught me to be in bed at eight. I was in bed at 7.30. I was go- getting up at going to training, 8 a.m., leaving the training ground at 7, 8 p.m. for 13 pounds a day for four years of my life. And, and not just me, every young academy boy does that. So we're aware of the pitfalls. It's just this carrot that's dangled in front of us that you do this because in four years, you're going to be successful. In four years, you're going to be playing for a first team somewhere. But also, also, I guess what you always think you're the one who'll get through, right? When it's You have to have that mentality. You, yeah, you think you so do People regardless. talk about top footballers. That's all you talk about. Oh, they've got this arrogance, this swagger about them. But when yeah. you talk about young footballers, it's a bad thing all of a sudden. So yeah, you have to have that, that mentality, that tunnel vision to think, okay, the statistics are low, but I'm here and I'm, we're in the top five and I feel like, I, like I'm in the top one here, mm. so I'm going to make it. And you don't. And realistically, yeah, that still may not be enough. It's not enough. And um, you, in a couple of things I read, you mentioned, you mentioned that, that black players were being told they had bad attitudes and that you, you were, you were left to eat lunch on the floor in the changing rooms and that sort of thing. Now, would you, do you think that's an isolated incident would be the first question? Well, no. Um, I think it's more of a terminology in football. It's a mm. very old school, um, old boys club type coaches 
take after other coaches, take after coaches that came before them. So it's just like general terms that are thrown around mm. lazily around changing rooms or football clubs. You've got a bad attitude. You're lazy. Why do you listen to that music? You're so flashy with your earrings in. You mm. do loads of flicks and tricks. You're just all pace and power. It's like there was something on YouTube recently about Tim Sherwood. I don't know if I could say his name, but... And he was talking about yeah, Yaya Torre, yeah. Yaya Torre, and yeah. Ngolo Kante, and these players, like unbelievable world-class players. And yeah. all he says about them is their pace and power. Mm. And then he talks about a player that isn't coloured or isn't black, and he says they're elegant. Mm. They're so technically gifted, mm. and it's like how how do you get there? Because it, I don't understand it. But what I do understand is that those terms train people to be racist, to look at people in a certain way. Yeah, so you don't necessarily think it's 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 malice from the individual, but you it's You don't think it's, it's offensive to say, oh, kick the ball in the channel for the for the small black boy to run up, run, yeah. chase the ball in the corner. But but it has connotations to it. Yeah, and yeah, and then course, it, yeah. it leads to people thinking certain ways. So therefore, I just think, especially in mainstream media, it's like those terms need to be addressed and just people need to be educated on it in general. Yeah, it's, it's funny. We talked about this yesterday, interesting in a completely different sport, but like... In 10, 15 years back, you know, there's there's a guy we interviewed who who was who was black himself, and he said when he went and played rugby, they'd be like, "Oh, you're a winger, right?" You know, straight there away. There you go, mate. Immediately, oh, you're yeah, a winger. Yeah, there you go. And it's just it's it's fu- it's not funny. It's it's weird because obviously you play sports yourself, and as a as a white guy, you think, "Oh, you're aware of it." And I think there's elements to where I probably was, but there's definitely like you just you just didn't. Re- I always wonder, like, for example, did did you ever play up or did? maybe a, a white kid or, or a certain kid really really say fuck you to the coach why are you, why are you talking like that or you're making assumptions about or just it was just Mate, they were just so unaware as a, it's as impossible as a 17 year old you're not aware of that stuff are yeah. you you might be aware of okay yeah he's speaking to me a bit differently and I'm not really sure why mm. but you don't go to race that's mm. the last thing especially where I was born where I was raised like I, that's the last thing that comes to my mind Yeah. so to be treated a certain way and I, I think there were points that I was like okay this is this is it kept happening, so you're like, ah, yeah. something's not right here. And I remember there was a couple of us that we were just all labelled with bad attitudes. And I'm like, hold on, he's from a completely different area, completely different family, very different background, Went to, couldn't have gone to more different schools, mm. speak completely differently, dress completely differently, but yet we both are the same. And that's, I think I was about 18 then, I started to realise, mm, this is... But again... I'm not saying that all football clubs are racist. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm I know. I'm just saying not. that that was my experience and I'm yeah. not here to point fingers and name names and say he did that and she did this, but I just think that people need to be aware, especially in systems where there's children involved, yeah. that people need to be educated on it. Of course, because yeah, I, know, I know you also feel it's not, you shouldn't go too heavy on the, on the background of the person or the so-called privilege. It's much more the individual individual sort of experience, right? There you go, mate. Yeah, Um can I ask you, what, what do you think about taking the knee? <laughs> Mate. <laughs> do you think it's useful? Do you, are you with it? Do you, think, do you think there's better ways to do it? I'm for it, mate. Yeah. If, if people say, this is, this is what we're going to do, then I'm behind you for... I mean, it's not my place to say anyway, but if this is a stand... got every right to have If this is a stand that people are going to take, then I support you on it. And at the same time, so you know, obviously there's been a lot of press about about uh, Wilfred Zaha. Do you, are you also with him at the same time, if if that's his way, or do, or do you think it should be really black and white? Like you're of, you're you're a part of it, or you're not? I don't know, mate. I haven't thought about that to be honest. Okay, fine. Um, let's talk. Let's talk football uh, yeah, again. Yes. <laughs> up, up the Chelsea. Yeah, up the Chelsea. You're Chelsea as well. Of course I am. Okay, mate. What, do you, what do you think? Well, so that's what I said. Do you, do you still love football? <laughs> yes, but that's. 
a point is that I didn't for years. Mm. And as I've been speaking to my friends as we got older, they didn't either. So it's now I've got into my late, well, I'm 31. I don't know why I said late twenties, but still, I love it. Still holding it, still yeah, holding I'm, on to I'll, it. I'll grasp one tip forever. I'm, 20, I'm 22, mate, I'm 22. Um, but yeah, for years I couldn't watch it because that was my association with it. Like I'm a failure, I failed here and these guys have made it. Mm. So I just didn't want to, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't want to talk about football. If football was on, my dad would say, come watch the game. And I'd say, no, nah, I don't want to. So yeah, I just didn't watch it for years, but now I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, again. so so you haven't you haven't lost the passion, which is which is good to hear because you. I did wonder that a lot. It's like there's so much connected to it emotionally and and some a lot of negative stuff. It's it must have been hard for a while. Um, can I ask? Was there any? Mate, I hope this isn't a too sort of uh, overly spiritual question. Oh, right? mate, but, but, oh, but, whack it in there. But have you found any use in any mindfulness? practices with regards to meditation or anything like that because we i've talked to a lot of people about it and I, a lot of people do seem to find meditation as a great way uh to help themselves in in these more tumultuous times so that alongside talking to people so i just wondered if there's anything you'd like to shed a light on that particularly helped you beyond being able to express it mm, in a nutshell i've tried everything to be honest with you i felt like in such a dark difficult place in my late 20s or early 20s to late 20s i just had to try everything so, I mean, it was difficult for me because after I had my surgery, I was in my bed for, I'm going to say, eight months. Couldn't move well at all. I was on crutches. Mm. And so that was my really downtime to think. I'm, I was in my darkest time thinking, uh, I don't actually want to live anymore. I don't want to be here. But you think other things in that time. And I learned maybe as I came out of that depression to just think, how do I breathe better? When I'm having a panic attack, I understand mine were quite varied I didn't really know why or how they would come on but I know okay when they come on just breathe mm. just relax but I, I wasn't taught that I wasn't educated on it but to be honest I mean I spoke to a girl yesterday who's very um to set up her meditation podcast I suppose it was and yeah I, if it helps it helps to be honest I'm not going to sit here and say you should do this or you should do that or that helps but I think everyone's individual and if, if it helps you it helps you so, so that nothing in particular but beyond not for me to be honest I mean talking about it must be huge yeah but not in a nice way to be honest I mean like I said when I made the film it was very therapeutic for me just to be able to be like Bleh, okay mm. I'm done with it I don't want to talk about it anymore but then the more I talk about it it's not comfortable it's not enjoyable for me to sit here and relive moments in my life that that were not nice but yeah it has to be done because yeah because what in an ideal world you'd like to be you'd like to be done with this but you feel you feel a sense of responsibility on on having it out massively yeah. massively not for me for other boys that are going through it now and for my friends that have been through it and don't have a voice or don't feel comfortable to speak about it mm. even now i understand if you've got kids and a full-time job what you're not going to bring this stuff back up how, so I've had to beg friends to send me voice notes and tell me their experiences just because it will help other people. But I understand that you've been through something incredibly traumatic, suffered for years from it. Mm. Why do you now want to start talking about it in your early 30s again when you finally just settled down from yeah, it? Yeah, and I yeah. think that's the perfect storm for these football clubs and academies especially because no one wants to talk about it. I finally just managed to deal with it and get over it. I'm not going to bring it back up. And I, and I, I think that's why it's such a massive untold story. Um, you said you said in certified sports that it's us versus them. That's the, yeah. That's I guess what the the mantra or the motto. Yeah. What, what exactly does that mean? Just with anything in life, I always feel like you have your them. So whether you're a footballer chasing a new contract or whether you're just a 
a person going for a jog, you always have that voice in your head that's like, this is my them, this is the people that I'm trying to prove wrong. Mm -hmm. And that to me is what them is. And you think, do you, and that's a big driver for you? Well, yeah, because I wanted to create a community. And so another one of my taglines is that I want to fight injustice in sport. Mm. So that's my whole point that every year I release a new film, we talk about a topic and we'll fight it and we'll challenge it and say, why is this happening? So that's what I want my brand to be known as a brand that is, it doesn't just sell sportswear. Actually, it talks about issues and highlights issues and challenges those issues for things to be changed. Because that that's because you 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 actually contribute some of the some of the money to to certain charities. Is that right, or is the plan to maybe create something of your own? Or no, no, no. So yeah, we we were at first. So when I first started it, it was purely and simply just to pay for a phone line so boys could call me. Mm. And just have it like that. As what, it, what, what's the phone line, by the way? Sorry to cut you off, but can you let everyone know? Well, what the, the email address is, is I need help at certifiedsports.co.uk, but we've also got um, a tab on the website which you can report an injustice from any sport. And if it if it flags enough, it could be from cricket, or it could be from croquet. Mm. If it flags enough, then we'll do some research into it and we'll challenge it. Um, but yeah, that's how it started initially, just as a phone line, like I said, just as an older brother type figure to give people advice. And as it's grown, um, we just offer different things. So the way that we're headed with this one is I've got a lawyer to help write what this safeguarding in sports should look like mm -hmm. and what aftercare programs and platforms should look like. So that's where the percentage is going on this campaign. Okay, so you you really, obviously, no surprise, but you'd like to actually it, perhaps implement certain practices, like you said, so the aftercare element and yeah. what people, there's a true guideline to what, what safeguarding but care because is. Because that's the problem now is that no one audits them. So a mm. football club will say to you, I won't say who it is, but I've been told from a sports lawyer that, oh, this football club does it perfectly. Have a look into them. Mm. And then just coincidentally, four days later, they email me, say, the head of safeguarding saying, we don't know what to do with, with these boys. So can you help us? Can you advise us? What role would you like to play? Mm. So I'm like, how does that? Yes, it's a piece of paper. Yes, the FA say this is supposed to happen. The football clubs can say all they want. Oh, we do do it. And maybe they'll highlight one boy in 15 years that's gone on to do well. But actually, where's the audit? Where's the people making sure that these boys are taken care of? Because mm. success rate's so low in academies. And I don't think any boy that goes through is just automatically expecting to become a professional footballer. But when you don't, you should be able to expect some help or you should be able to know what's going to happen to you. And now it's just like this big black hole of nothingness yeah. like, I don't know what I'm going to do I don't know where I'm going to be I don't have any job opportunities no internships no courses from the club it's just like okay you're not going to make it here so see ya so so in an ideal world what would what would be the basics given to someone who's who's been let go or or, or at least or what would be the basic education provided whilst, whilst uh, they're there I can't get into that Mikey mate what was that <sighs> no I just don't want to a bit premature Okay. I'm just having conversations, sorry, privately. Yeah, no, that's fine, so, that's yeah. fine. But, it, but, but obviously it has to be a high standard, but you don't, you, at this point, what, you're not even sure what that should no, be? I know. Yeah, 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 we know, we know. But the point is, is that none of these things are audited. So, mm. so again, there are certain things that are, they're supposed to take care of you after. Psychologically, mm. they're supposed to help you. Mm. After they've released you, they're supposed to give you advice and supposed to let you know where to go it's not just like a here's a samaritan's number see you later it needs to be more and they're supposed to do more but they don't do more so it's not a case of me sitting here saying they don't understand or they don't know what's going on it's a it's a case of saying there's no money in it so they just don't bother is there anything better than 
uh, playing sport in front of hundreds, straight in hundreds of thousands of people? I don't know. What, what was it? <laughs> what, no, but what was it? You must have performed, uh, performed, played in front of big crowds. Because no, I remember I even been. playing in front of a few people. It blew my mind how, how much of a This is the myth, I think, that people have with academy football. It's like, really? You're not a famous footballer. You yeah. paid no money. You're not treated particularly well. And there's no big crowds. I mean, I think I played for the world's under-21s against Germany, and I think there was like 4,000 people there. Yeah. But that was... That's a lot of people, don't you think? I mean, well, it for is me, a it was lot a load of people. Yeah, yeah, but it's not it's not a stadium full of people, is it? But that so. that's a that's a different level of experience. Like, did, did you remember thinking like this is this is the best thing I've done, sort of thing? Mm, no, no, no. It's pressure. Too much pressure. I I, f- I think I I mean for me anyway, I'd, there's a lot of pressure in those situations. No, no, it's interesting because I would assume it's just an absolute like euphoric experience. But like you said, you had so much pressure on yourself. Obviously, you're probably worried about your knee and all sorts of things. It's just a it's just a different experience. Um how how do I express this? The the power of like coaches and managers is something that's brought been come come up quite a lot. You've obviously I'm sure you've seen elements of this documentary about football is it football's darkest secrets with Go regards on. to the abuse and, and the grooming and that sort of thing. Do you know about that? No. There was it a showed an inquiry. No, nah, I think it's connected to that, but literally a couple of weeks ago it was it was a big reveal about essentially all these Younger players, especially in the seventies and eighties, yeah, who sexually yeah, abused. Showed an inquiry. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I. Would you be willing to touch on if you ever thought you saw anything like that? No. No. I didn't. You didn't. I didn't. However, there were a lot of inappropriate moments. I would say, as an adult, I wouldn't allow my son to go through. Mm. But back then, you just think, ah, it's a bit of banter, isn't it? Or it's normal. Or this is just what happens. But nothing to the extent that those boys had to go through. So. And do you, and do you think? It was blindsided so much simply because it's their it's their chart. They're they're the they're the gateway to to success. It's like in any power structure, isn't it? It's like if you you're trying to do anything you can to impress someone, mm. you might you might let something slide or you might let something go as a child because you think, oh well, I'm desperate. I need to do this not just for me but for my family. So that's that's your mindset at that time. Yeah. Um. So what what's the What's the big big plan for certified sports? Oh, how long have you got, mate? Uh, well, a couple of hours, so, you know. Yeah. No, literally just to be a brand that challenges injustice in sport. I mean, I, I just want to do something. I want to have an effect and have an impact and actually be able to create change mm. where where I see the need for change, not just where I see it, but where we see it. Um, I don't just want to be a brand that just sells clothes. Because to me that doesn't you don't have an impact. So even without the clothes, that's that would be my messaging forever. Is that actually these things need to be addressed? Your old boys clubs that you have through sports and other industries, mm. I want to attack them and I want to ch- make change and create change in those. Do you think? Do Do you think what you're doing is quite a big fuck you to to football clubs? Not football clubs. No, I mean it depends which way you look at it. For me, I'm just raising an issue. I'm not saying you've done this, you've done that. I'm just I'm just literally raising an issue and saying, how are you going to answer it? So mm. I'm not saying, fuck you. I'm just saying, this is unacceptable. So what are you going to do about it? You, ha- you have no excuse to not do it. It's 2021. We understand about males, mental health, especially in young boys. You understand about it. Mm-hmm. So why are you not doing anything about it? Yeah. So I, I just thought it was very interesting that... Um, Let's just touch on some 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 wider questions. Do you 
Is, is certified sports your only mission at the moment? Is there other mission, missions connected to it or, or completely different like, like you'd like to get into? Mm, no, that's it, mate. That's yeah. my focus. And that's, and, and that's the sole thing. And with regards, with regards to the actual the merchandise or the clothing, uh, is, is there plans for particular lines that go to particular, particular causes beyond what you're doing at the yes. moment? So, I mean, essentially, I want to make all black sportswear because mm -hmm. I've always worn black everything, even mm -hmm. when I colored boots came out, I wanted to be that guy who's wearing black on black boots. So yep. that's what I want my sportswear to be, technical sportswear, black on black. So that's what we've done now. And the new season of stuff we've got coming out is it's plastic bottles collected from the ocean. Okay. So that's a big thing. Um, and then we will do um, drops throughout the year that will support communities in certain ways. I don't want to go into too much detail, but yeah, yeah we'll, we'll make, we'll have one drop a year, which we'll focus on as we're focusing on now, Academy Boys and what happens to them when they're released. And then throughout the year, we'll drop capsule collections that will be to support knife crime in London or other community issues. Um, you've talked a lot about uh, players you know that have fallen into crime quite quickly after they got let go. Mm -hmm. Could you, wh why, why do you think that's the case? Mate, young boys backed into a corner with no opportunities, no courses, no jobs. Where do you expect them to go? Yeah. And I think I, I've seen that firsthand. I mean, I was privileged enough to go to a private school. Mm -hmm. Then all of my football friends were from a completely different world to me. So these are the nicest boys. I spend the weekends at their house. Their family is my family. We're mm -hmm. just from two different places. And now because of your circumstances, you're going to prison. And so just as your friend, I can't accept that because then it's used as like a rod to football clubs to say, we told you he was a bad egg. Mm. We told you that he was going to be trouble. So that's why we let him go. And it's actually, no, you took his whole childhood from him and then you left him with nothing. What do you expect him to do? So for me, that's what I wanted to do. Just tell the story of, of my friends who I love. And I know that if given the right opportunity, they would have done incredible things in their life, but they weren't given that opportunity. Um, if if you could, uh, I I hope you can pinpoint this a little bit. If you could just make one statement to to younger guys who are in the academy now, as a as a warning or or a piece of personal advice, is there something you could say in particular that you'd like them to to take on? It's a difficult one for me because knowing what I know, I would say don't do it. Really, the couple years of enjoyment that I had in those environments were not worth the 10, it's 12 years it, of, yeah. of depression and anxiety and PTSD and wanting to kill myself, it wasn't worth it. Mm. But I understand as young footballers, you think I'm gonna make it. You're in that mindset to say, I'll be the one, I'll be the one in a million and you're not gonna be. So I don't have a simple, easy solution to say, educate yourself or be more aware that you're probably not gonna make it because in that moment, you have to be fully focused on mm. everything. And that's a skill to be fully focused and to put all your eggs in one basket and to work incredibly hard towards a goal that you know is probably not realistic. To me, that's a skill that can be transferred into other things. But again, if I could go back and tell myself or go back and explain to myself what I'm about to go through, then I, I wouldn't do it. Would there, would there be anything you'd implore parents to, to be quite conscious of? Well, it comes down to football clubs educating parents because I think a lot of the pressure is heaped on the parents that, oh, you force them to do it or you put too much pressure on them at an early age. Whereas actually they were also promised something, made false promises. Mm. So my dad drove me everywhere, did everything for me. And now all of a sudden he's getting blamed because I didn't make it. Yeah. So I, I think that parents need to be educated and to be able to see 
what might happen to their children and the signs that of depression or the signs of anxiety, especially in certain communities or cultures. But in essence, I don't think it comes down to them. It's not their fault. It's not their problem. Or it is their problem, but it shouldn't be their issue to have to deal with it. It has to be the football clubs. Did, did your dad ever... You can call him Big Mike. Big Mike. There like me, Big Mike. Yeah. Um, did, your dad, do you, did your dad ever get angry at you about yes. it? Yes. Yeah, a lot. Again, I don't blame him, but the conversations that we're having, I mean, I don't want to point fingers, but the environment that we were in... I was I didn't know whether to tell my dad because either two things are going to happen he's going to come in he's going to kick off that's going to cause trouble for me or mm-hmm. they're going to release me or what did happen was he'd come in they would say Max is lazy he's got a bad attitude he doesn't want to listen he doesn't want to learn he thinks mm-hmm. he knows everything and then my dad would look at me and say why are you doing that I put so much time and effort into doing everything for you and you can't even listen and it's like as a child i didn't know how to express or explain to him that that's not true dad so as a, as two adults in a room telling my dad something of course he's going to listen to yeah, them yeah of course not yeah. of course but like they're expressing themselves yeah he's going to take their 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 point of view quite relevant and yeah. what do i say i was like oh oh dad that's not true i'm not like that and then he starts to see things in me that he's like oh you don't want it enough or yeah. i've done this for you and so it just it became such a difficult time and luckily like my dad's my best friend so yeah everything worked out fine but there was definitely a period of time that that there was some animosity there was, there was almost quite resentment from his side yeah. yeah and and what obviously just since in adult life you've you've talked it out and <laughs> it was tough to talk it out yeah but yeah tell me about it i mean i think every, i think every guy in some capacity has a bit of a clash with their dad at one point well, the truth is i was also resentful of him because as a child i don't make these decisions mm. my dad's making them for me yeah so then there's certain situations that i've had to go through because of decisions that he's made Mm. That was that's a tough conversation to have, when he's in his eyes given everything to me, and he has. But as someone who was depressed and in a really dark place, I probably took it out on him when I shouldn't have. But like, that's a story that I'm told constantly from from young boys that have been released from football clubs. The, the relationship with the, with the parent, or particularly yeah, just like a wedge just driven between them. So now you're not only alone because you've been released from the football club, but you're alone because you feel isolated from your family because you blame them partly and they blame you. So mm. it's just this whole balance that is just... And you've probably heard of the, those sort of rifts lasting, lasting quite a long time. Yeah. Um, have you ever been prescribed antidepressants or anything of that nature to, to help you out? <sighs> yes, but I didn't take them. Yeah. I think culturally, this is where it comes in as well. It's like my dad wouldn't even let me take tablets when I was mm. growing up. Mm. It's like, it's not for us. Like we're, we're fine. We could soldier through it. I'd, I would never have wanted to take antidepressants, but I was definitely at a point prescribed them or told that I'd probably need them. And so in a way, so I'm, I really, I know people who've taken antidepressants and I don't see much use in them. I think a small dose perhaps at the right time is, and listen, I haven't experienced it myself, so I don't know. But from what I can see, People get hooked on them, like most pharmaceuticals, mm-hmm. and really goes goes down a bad track, and 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 then and often it makes their chemical imba- uh, chemical balance so imbalanced that it's 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 really just a, a sort of negative spiral. So you quite you quite glad you never took any of that? <laughs> yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah. Of course. I mean, uh, that's not the answer. You can't just say to these boys, these thousands of boys that are released a year, like, oh, we don't want to deal with yeah, it. So here's some antidepressants. Like, see you later. It's not to me it's not the answer it's like there are steps before that can be taken to help people to guide people to make it almost normal so you don't feel like such a failure when you're released and then after there's uh, even easier steps that can be put in place to protect them from going through those things 
Yeah, I mean, talking on the on the medical side, so they gave you injections pre sixteen, right? You were younger than that. No, I don't think I was pre sixteen. I was sixteen. Were you ever given? Uh, were you ever given any form of sort of? Basically, what I'm trying to say is. Say you, it. Say it you your chest, bro. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. But to be honest, man, because a lot of this matters to me a lot, especially on the male mental health. I hate how people feel isolated. So it's quite. It's quite a big importance to me, which is why I appreciate what you're doing. But. Um, were you ever given any form of pill, injection, whatever, under the age of 16 without, without uh, parental guidance? Not under the age of 16. Do you know Definitely people- from 16 to 19, I 100% was. And also, I think that's when you say without parental consent and under 16, you're not in the football club full time. Mm. So that's, that to me is still unacceptable. Yes, you might categorize me in some cultures as an adult from 16 mm. but you still can't blackmail me into or bully me or make me feel as if something's going to happen to me if i if i don't take these pills mm. or if i don't get injections in my knees because the consequences show later you don't care for me you don't you don't help me so no i haven't ever heard of um children getting prescribed them under 16 but i'm not saying it doesn't happen i mean you say you say you're not an adult at 16 i'm not sure if i'm an adult now so uh, so, so there you go you're about 48 yeah right? yeah uh, did you, do, do i look 48 <laughs> no, no, i'm joking i look 12 your beard's not connected yeah i know well it? my adolescence just didn't really go mate so there's a few sort of more quick fire questions and stuff stuff go we've got it, for man. you firstly what is your best quality Oof. wow um putting good people in good places I think that's my only skill when it comes to business. I mean, I'm not, I don't, I'm not super knowledgeable at things, but I just, I'll find the perfect person to go in to that spot. Do you, could you, what was the worst day of your life so far? Jesus Christ. I've had a few, mate. Um, I couldn't tell you the worst day, but probably realizing that my football career is done. And there was a particular night that I thought, okay, I, it's done. And I, I cried all night and I was, yeah, it wasn't a good time. Best day of your life so far? Mate, these aren't quick fire questions. How am I going to answer that? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm 31. I, yeah. No, no, but listen, I roll them out. There's one, there's particular questions I'd like to ask everyone because I think, like I said, I want it to be so relatable and, and, and if you can express some sort of mm. emotion, it, it normally it will hit someone else and actually help them, which is the why The best day of my I life, mate. Important. And then take your time, genuinely. I'll be honest with you, I don't actually know. And I don't mean that in a way that I've, I've had a terrible life because I haven't at all, but I couldn't tell you the best day of my life. Neither could I. That's a difficult question, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I could tell you periods where I was absolutely in moments of euphoria, which is normally in my teens, but I, I, couldn't, I couldn't pick a best day. And I, and I, yeah. But some people really can, which is what I find interesting about it. No, not me. Not me. Okay. Um, oh, it's not too quick, these are they? No, so. no, well, it's, it's, it's a <laughs> script. It's a script. Down, Sammy, mate. No, no, it's, it's good to have the, uh, the uh, pause for dramatic effect, I guess. Mm. Uh, what is happiness to you? Um, being comfortable in my own skin, in my own mind. I don't question myself anymore. I don't think things are happening that aren't happening. And I was, I spent a long time being anxious and over analyzing and over questioning things. And now if something comes into my mind, I know it's just for now and I can just breathe it out. And that to me is the path to happiness. How, 
And money. Um, I was going to say, so, does, so yeah, so does, is, is mo- how important is money to you? Mate, I've had no money. I mean, I've had periods where I've had a lot of money, but then I've also had no money the majority of my 20s when most of my friends are, are working and getting money. So it's not important at all. To me, what's important is to tell this story. And if money comes, amazing. If not, then at least I can leave something that, that will change people's lives. And is that, I mean, that's always a thing I talk about. Would you say you're combining what you care about with your skills and something that could perhaps have a greater offering to, to other people? It's the only skill I have. Like I said, when I left, apart from Burberry, what am I going to your only skill being what? Fashion. Fashion. Clothes, okay. sorry. That's the, only, that's the only route that I was presented with after football. So it's like, if I can't play football anymore, what do I do? Favourite book? Oh, I've got a lot of favourite books, actually. But you can do a top three if you, if I you, think if you wish. I think my favourite is Starting With Why. I think we spoke about this before yeah. by yeah, Simon yeah, yeah. Sinek. That was the first book that made me realise, okay, what's your why? Why are you doing this? Mm. And then that was made me think, okay, let me take this story that I've been trying to tell and not know how to tell and do it through my other passion. Favourite movie? Training Day. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of my top three as well. That was easy. Um, yeah. So, f- final or, or American Gangster. Okay. It's also fucking great. Mm-hmm. Uh, final question is, and, and just before we do finish, thank you again for doing it. I really, really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having it's, me. Uh, it's, been, it's been a great conversation. Um, what do you hope for on your deathbed? And what I mean by that is, what do you hope you can look back on fondly when, you, when this is all done? Change. Like I said, I just want to change things. I don't want to talk. I don't want people to think, oh, you just created this webinar or this seminar or this focus group. I actually want to create change. Okay. Brilliant. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for having me, mate. Pleasure, pleasure. Can you put a filter on this to make me look... No, no, we're all, mate.